like nobody knows anything what's going on right i mean there's been so one of the things that's the hallmark it's of what's refreshing going on, right? humility by the way not, yeah. not something we're used to nobody knows anything okay ready this is it this is the show What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Emily, we're back. Episode two of What's With The Pineapple Podcast. They said it wasn't possible, but here we are. We are back. It's 2022. Happy New Year. Is that allowed? Well, it's the 12th, so I don't know. I mean, we can say Happy New Year to all of our listeners, the abundance of listeners that we have, because we haven't greeted them with a Happy New Year yet. Yeah, that was a test. It's wrong. You can't say Happy New Year after January 7th. That's a rule in the MRLA offices. Should be a rule society-wide. But the well wishes to all of our members uh, is, is something I can support. Don't take away my joy. Every, everything else can take away my joy, but don't take away my happy new year yet. Well, let me start out this uh, episode too with uh, what came as an early Christmas present for the MRLA and certainly the hospitality industry in Michigan as the legislature worked late into the night to get a little over $400 million available to what are called afflicted businesses. Remember that term, afflicted, is going to be how we are describing what happened to this industry as you can apply for over $400 million statewide of relief due to the pandemic. So it's something we've been pushing and, and advocating for for nearly a year. Excited to see it get across the finish line, maybe a little later than we had anticipated seeing this type of support, but later is certainly better than never. And the core argument we had made is there are a lot of taxes paid by people in this industry that were not not able to run their business. You are paying full property taxes in 2020, yet being closed the vast majority of that year if you're a restaurant or paying full property taxes and seeing 10, 12% occupancy rates at your hotel because of the pandemic and the policies associated with it. We needed some relief to bring back some fairness, frankly, for this industry. And, and finally, right before the Christmas time, uh, we were able to secure that. What are some of the details, Emily? Yeah, I think we this is big news for the industry, of course, and we're hearing a lot from members since then and especially in the new year because people want to be prepared, especially compared to what happened with RRF and needing to be prepared there. So we're getting a lot of calls and we're providing the answers that we have. The Michigan Department of Treasury will post applications on March 1st, 2022. It Not before that. We got a lot of calls, a lot of emails, a lot of calls. Uh, I'm glad that there's that much interest in demand. We know that it exists out there. March 1st is that date. Yes, and it will be open until April 1st, 2022, per the language in the bill that was passed, right? So it will be open then. As we get more details from the Department of Treasury, we will put together additional resources. We'll have webinars for our members so that everyone can be as prepared as possible. And the other key part is if the qualified demand for this funding exceeds its supply, all payments will be prorated accordingly. So the amount might shift, but it won't run out, I think. Do you think that's fair to say? I think it's probably likely. It's, it's certainly the early returns and the amount of interest there is around this money and what we've seen throughout the pandemic. Whenever there was any level of, of funding and support available, uh, demand far outstripped supply. And I think that's going to happen again. So go into this assuming that your application, the dollar figure that you might qualify for will be stripped back a little bit, but you will walk away with something. Unlike the RRF, we'll get to that in a little bit. 
Also worth noting, uh, in January 2022, it is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. We have a lot of resources on our website as well as free training through the No Room for Trafficking campaign through HLA, which is the American Hotel and Lodging Association. So again, not trying to plug, but it is uh, a month worth noting and something to be aware of and training is available. Yep, Fundamentally important issue to this industry. I'm glad you brought it up. We did our wear blue day the other day for the staff. I feel terrible. We had just brought in a new staffer. It's day two for him. He has no idea he's supposed to be wearing blue and we all get together for the picture so we can put that on social. The poor guy's wearing a red sweater. He looks like an outlier. He looks like an outcast. It's not his fault. He's just new. So if you see this picture, don't don't hold it against Josh. It's, it's his second day in the job. He's trying. And by the way, doing a great job. He is. All right. I'm going to move to the to one more segment here before we move on. Uh, and I want to I want to stress this is not a podcast for plugs. We don't do plugs here. It's not about the plugs. It's about bringing context to the issues that we're, we're talking about in the hospitality industry every day. With that said, Emily, what did you want to say next? As of today, the MRLA has launched a new mobile app for your phone. Oh, that sounds like a plug. It is, but it's worth it. Is it, though? Tell me why. The MRLA app brings the power of your membership directly to your pocket. How's that for a slogan? This whole segment is very sticky, but uh, but but please go on because it is. I, I've seen the app. I use it. It's actually pretty good. There's a lot of resources on there. It is available for anyone in industry. We prefer that you be a member, but if you're not, you can still have some limited access. Very quickly, the three main things that is different that you cannot find anywhere else through any of our resources is a groups function for your members to communicate amongst peers, which is helpful, especially these days. We also have a membership directory, so you can search it by company name, area of the state. I've been using it for months with the prototype. If I'm in a certain area, I'll look and see what members I should go visit. And then also all of our newsletters are directly listed there, so you can easily reference. You don't have to search through your inbox for that groundbreaking information that we shared with you. Yeah, listen, tr- truth be told, I get about 80% of my intro level news through push notifications. So the fact that we have a new channel by which to get some critical information, and we're not going to hit you with everything. We're going to save the push notification for stuff that we think is really important, stuff that you may want to make sure you do not miss. And then you can click if it's something that is a little more of interest to you. Most importantly, there is a podcast feed within the app. So a plug within a plug. <laughs> this is amazing. All right, we seriously need to move on. This is getting bad fast. Current events segment. Do we have a name for the current events segment yet? We don't. Oh. Anyone has any suggestions, you know, shoot us a DM on Instagram, contact us. Got to be industry savvy in the name, though, like so many of our other things. Yeah, we, we just can't get it for this one. But current events, Omicron is here, like here. Yeah, I feel somewhat responsible for this. We did our initial pod and we talked about how it was new. We weren't even sure how to say or pronounce the name properly, had to look it up on Google. But one thing that we did say in early December when we recorded was that, don't worry, it doesn't seem to be impacting large events around the holiday, you know, minimal, if any, cancellations for office Christmas parties, any other holiday parties. New Year's looked bright still, despite some growing numbers. And then within about 48 hours, we just saw the levees break and cancellations started coming in in droves. New Year's ended up being a wash for this industry, and we know how important that is. We know how important holiday events are, uh, the gatherings of family or, or offices together, and so many of those ended up getting canceled, especially the closer to the holiday that you got. And so it was a disastrous, frankly, December uh, on the whole for this industry, and that's a month that this industry needs to get through what, frankly, are some slower months in January 
in February. And so we find ourselves in a pretty precarious situation here in, in January that is a lot different than it was December. It's not that the, some of the signs weren't, weren't, weren't showing themselves through the fall. Some of the uh, traffic numbers were starting to go down, but ticket prices were staying up. Occupancy in hotels was holding pretty strong and business travel through at least October was pretty strong and started to loosen up. And then uh, the levees broke in December. And so we're in a precarious situation again, which I think leads us to the Restaurant Revitalization Fund and some funding for hotels plausible now. I would not have said plausible in in November and maybe even early December for this industry. Congress looked like it had moved past the era of uh, COVID support and funding. And then I think the surge of, of Omicron is so strong, so strong here and so strong across the country. And you see the industry being impacted so significantly right now that the idea is plausible. And so I think Build Back Better, the huge program, the the all-encompassing everything program that can't seem to get across the finish line, is ever officially deemed dead, that Congress will will start to move on something smaller before they get into full-on election season. And so there is a new opportunity here and something we are pushing pretty aggressively on uh, on behalf of the industry. And so you'll start seeing some more from us on, on ways that you can get involved yourself and engage in, in, in bringing some more dollars back to this industry. Because frankly, we're starting to see closures again. And not just closures because your staff is out sick and you're out for 48 hours. Closures like you are gone and you are done. And we don't want to see that happen to this industry again. We've been through too much over the last two years. So expect to see a lot more from us and the the real opportunity for RRF funding back and some specific hotel funding in the mix as well here. So, so stay tuned uh, for a little bit more on that. Is there anything you can share right now about expected timeline? Because as we get calls about the afflicted relief, we're also getting calls about RRF because people are seeing it being covered, operators seeing it being covered more. Anything you can share right now on timeline or we're just not sure quite yet? Oh, I think in the next week, you'll oh. you'll see opportunities from us to to engage uh, at the grassroots level with your elected officials in, in Congress. Uh, we, we've had some good conversations early. There's, there's interest and support from the Michigan delegation to uh, to support some additional RRF funding and some additional funding or some intro, introductory funding, frankly, frankly, for the hotel industry here. And so I think you'll expect to see some more from us, but it's really in the zeitgeist now. You, you can see it everywhere in, in news stories of the plausibility of the possibility of this happening. And, and that wasn't there two weeks ago. Some sort of light, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about Omicron? At least one thing I think that's interesting to note, if, if any of our listeners hadn't seen, is the Department of Health and Human Services kind of came out with some some modeling of Omicron and where they think it's going to go. And we're looking at a peak in Michigan. We're seeing some peaks in, in other parts of the country right now. And New York seems to be past its peak. Our Department of Health and Human Services thinks that the end of January, early February is where Michigan will see a peak and then a very steep, steep drop off from there. So it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And I know for those listeners out there, it's pretty bad right now, but this is going to be short-lived. I This is why I'm actually pretty bullish on the rest of the year once we can get past this. I think we will sort of stabilize where we are at in terms of inflation related to labor and related to commodities by the time we get to Q3, so by, by late spring, early summer, and then have a, a rocket-fueled growth opportunity from there. But it's going to be it's going to be rough in Q1, and I think Q2 will be – you'll start to see all, all the, the leveling out of some of the chaos. But until, until we get past this peak, I think it's going to be a, a rough few weeks. 
you might have induced some eye rolls because we are two years in and we keep saying that it will get better. But I do think this will fall off in the next two months based on the data we've seen and we will we will move forward. We hope, have to. Hope springs eternal. And, and this industry is resilient. So we'll get through it, but we're going to need a little extra support. We'll be advocating for that support. Okay, that wraps up the current event segment that still doesn't have a name. Moving on to For Fork's Sake, which is That's a, got a, name. a solid segment title. Is it because all government affairs issues make you say For Fork's Sake, like another thing? Like, oh my gosh, this too? Well, that, yes. But also, we do what we do for the fork, the <sighs> restaurant. Also hotels, but I haven't come up with a word that fits into that yet. Again, any suggestions? DM us on Instagram because we have one of those. So savvy. We're so socially savvy. I'm not, but we are so socially savvy. Okay. Yeah, the the, the one issue we're going to bring up here today, and it is back again, is a, an organization called Raise the Wage. They are seeking to get on the November 2022 ballot a proposal that will increase the minimum wage in Michigan to $15 an hour by 2027 and seek to eliminate the tip credit for those who have tipped employees by 2028. So those wages will not be uh, unique and separate. They will be one and uh, the same. We know how critically important the tip credit is to the success of this industry. And I cannot think of a worse time than right now for this issue to, to rear its ugly head because this, this industry is reeling. And, and it has been for two years, and this might push it over the edge and, and have uh, some dramatic repercussions. And so it's something we're watching very closely. Uh, it's not the first time we've dealt with this issue. We have been successful as an association each of the last two attempts, so in 2018 and 2014, of directing this issue off the ballot and having a sane conversation that still raised the wage in the state of Michigan, but retained a tip credit, the, that fundamental tip credit that's so important to so many people in the restaurant industry, but it's a big issue. And it just to, just to back it up to say, what's it going to take to get this on the ballot? This group needs to pull in 350,000 legitimate Michigan voting citizens by June 1st. It's a tall order. It's a very difficult labor market out there, as, we, as anyone listening to this knows all too well. But uh, to try to get people paid to gather signatures at that level in such a short amount of time is not going to be easy for this group. But if they get them, you can expect to see this on the uh, the November ballot. I don't want to trigger you here, but this fight seems to keep coming back to Michigan over and over and over in recent history, in the last decade, probably, right? Is yeah, and not just here, but, but more here than anywhere else. Right. Right. So 2014 and 18, both were attempts to not just raise the wage, but eliminate the tip credit. That is unique in terms of going back that far. But every attempt to eliminate the tip credit for the last 20 years has failed because I think it's one, it's a unique labor issue that doesn't just pit employers against employees and have that friction. Servers, by and large, and, and there's a lot of survey data that demonstrates this, approve and, and want to see this version because the ceiling for them with uh, with tipped income is very high, dramatically higher than minimum wage. And so uh, it's an interesting issue. It, it is This group has not gone away. A group called Restaurant Opportunity Center based out of New York, but has a chapter here in Michigan in Detroit. It's an issue that despite where the public seems to have been, where the results have been in terms of attempting to eliminate in other jurisdictions, it keeps coming back. So I think 
it begs the question of of what is the future long term? Right, we're dealing this with this again. That's the acute short term reality that every Michigan restaurant will be dealing with here in 2022. And whether or not it succeeds or not hangs in the balance and something we're focused on. But long term, this is an industry wide issue, and I think it's one we should we should talk about. I think this this podcast should and those listeners should expect to have a, a dialogue on this on this topic as we go throughout the year, and not just a friendly one. We're going to have one where we're going to bring some people on that are, are maybe not how most members of this association or most restaurateurs think, so we can understand where they're coming from and why, and maybe there's a chance for a better outcome. Maybe there's a chance uh, that, that we can find some common ground, but we're going to delve into that, that discussion a little bit this year because it's, it's topical, it's timely, and uh, it's provocative. A full-on battle. Yeah, but also maybe we'll make some secret friendships along the way. Building bridges. There we go. Okay, and lastly on that topic, 2022 on this topic is going to be a long road ahead because if it does go on the ballot, that's happening in November, which is a long way from right now. If operators or servers, like you said, want to get involved on this issue, what should they do right now? Or is it just hang tight for a little bit? There are a lot of of steps necessary for this group to demonstrate that it's serious and has the wherewithal to move forward once that is established which we'll probably know by mid to late February, whether they really have sort of the funding and the organizational infrastructure to get this done. You'll start hearing from us often on this and how you can engage individually. Right now, if you're listening to this, I think you should be preparing. I think open and honest conversations with your with your own staff are, are a good conversation point here and where they are on this issue has and, and has their perspective changed from where it was a few years ago. Because you know, for anyone who didn't know, in 2018, one of the major reasons this was moved off the ballot were, I still remember the day, and, and it oh, gives yeah. me chills thinking about it right now. 400 servers flooded the state capitol. They came up here to make the le- to make it clear to the legislature, I don't know who is pushing this forward, but if it's for me, I don't want it. I, I like the tip credit. I like being able to make tips. I consider myself an entrepreneur, and I make great money doing it. Whatever this system is, it's not for me. And so if that... If that has changed, it would be good to know. But that was the the prevailing sentiment of those who th- who would be impacted the most by eliminating the tip credit, and so that'll be an interesting discussion this time around as well. And worth noting is that that helped us get everything across the finish line because that's what we're doing is being the voice for the industry, and so everyone's voices are important in what we do for us all to work together and get things done. It's nice. It was kind of like a a plug without really being a plug. It's for fork stealth. Sake. It's for fork's sake. What can I say? <laughs> Anything else on the environment in Lansing that you want to hit on right now? No, there's going to be a lot more to come. The legislature is, is back. It's been a slow start for them into the year, so we'll see where their priorities are. I, I think a lot of it is that there are still a lot, $7 billion plus federal dollars that they are trying to appropriate here. And who wouldn't want to see that in an election year? So I think you'll see some bipartisan support between Republicans and Democrats over the coming weeks as they figure out how to spend that. We'll be focused on trying to get some workforce development dollars directed to this industry where they rightfully belong and some funding basically to create assurance for the public that it is safe to be back and go out in restaurants again. Obviously, we're in the peak of that or near peak of that Omicron surge, but in the wake of that, the public needs a reminder of all of the things this industry does to make sure that it's safe when it goes to dine out or to travel. And it's a lot. It's a lot. lot. It is a lot. Okay, so... To wrap up, I think we just sped through a lot of information, a lot of key information. I think people will be hanging on our every word. What do you, right? 
Um, to wrap up, what are your predictions looking at 2022 going into the year? Where do you think we will be sitting here one year from now recording our 26th episode of this podcast? Anything worth noting that you want to set the tone for the year to wrap up? Stay tuned. There's going to be so much. There, there's there's wide variance of what the future holds. And the last two years have maybe given me a little bit of pause. Please don't use the word variant. Thank you. Okay, that's a fair point. I'm 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 a bit out of the prediction business these days. The combination of 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 Trump era and 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 COVID era realities have have maybe backed me a little away from making uh, bold and, and and predictions of of my sense of what the future holds. But I can guarantee you, we'll be working day in and day out to make sure that we're delivering for the industry. That kind of sounded like a plug. It's a hedge. Okay, I want to pivot now because we have a fantastic guest in, a national guest to this podcast, breaking through the boundaries of just Michigan, bringing in national guests to provide some perspective on this industry to help us understand what's going on and what we think might come in 2022. And frankly, the the title of this episode two, a swift kick to the, Joe, can you, can you bleep that out? Okay, you can bleep that out. That's good. It's it's another cheeky title for this episode, but it it comes directly from an article in Restaurant Business Magazine, which is where our guest Jonathan Mays, who is the editor in chief of Restaurant Business Magazine, this article that we are we are claiming is is a quote. It is a quote from an operator who is asked how is Omicron treating his business, and he says, "Well, Omicron's been a swift kick to the bleep it, Joe." Our guest with us today, we've gone national. This is our second episode, and we've decided let's just let's just break down the barriers of Michigan. Let's bring in a national guest. <laughs> with us today is Jonathan Mays, editor in chief with Restaurant Business Magazine. Is uh, Jonathan is a longtime industry journalist who writes about restaurant finance, mergers, and acquisitions with a particular focus on quick service. He writes daily about factors influencing the operating environment, including labor and food costs, and various industry trends. Jonathan has been widely quoted in media publications such as the New York Times and the Washington Post and has appeared on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and What's With the Pineapple Podcast. I think that's the most notable of all of these, Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to What's With the Pineapple Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. This is really my career peak, so thank you very much. This, this, is, this is it. I've reached, the, I've reached the pinnacle now. I could probably retire. Well, then we need to really reassess whether this was the right move for us. If, if this is your peak, Jonathan, but but no, we really are excited to have you. you are a tremendous follow on Twitter, and and I get a lot of the information that that I'm sharing. I'll be doing a a live TV set later today, and we'll be using a lot of the information I'm either pulling from Restaurant Business Magazine or your Twitter account when I share with. This will be a Detroit specific station. Um, what's going on in the industry? So so thank you for everything you provide. The last two years, you've been uh, absolutely instrumental to everything that we do at the Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association. Thank you. And I definitely appreciate it and, and, and certainly appreciate the kind words. How did you get into this? How does someone, did, did you decide as a young boy, maybe NBA star, maybe that's where I'm going, maybe, maybe Minnesota Viking quarterback? I mean, Kirk Cousins feels like he's, you know, that, that job's up for grabs. Or did you say early on, restaurant finance journalist is exactly where I'm going? You knew from a young age. How, how did you get into this path? Accident. <laughs> Total accident. I had no idea. Like I like a lot of, like, so I'm a journalist. And so a lot of journalists, this is not really going to be a surprise, really have no interest in finance whatsoever. And I wanted to be a sports reporter. 
my whole dream actually was I wanted to write about baseball. I mean, I love sports period, but I really, you know, I mean, baseball has always been my favorite sport and I really wanted to write about baseball. And then some point in college, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do that uh, or there are only so many of those jobs available. And um, I also, I really had a love of writing about complicated topics. And then I, my first job out of college was covering local government and politics for a local community, a local city in Southeastern Minnesota. And then, uh, you know, and one of the big things I had to write about was an annexation dispute. And I adored it. I just loved getting into that sort of nitty gritty. And so I ended up, and then that ended up writing about business for most of my career, wrote about healthcare in Charleston, South Carolina for several years, um, moved back up to Minnesota and ended up getting a job at Franchise Times Magazine. And they quickly made me the editor of the Restaurant Finance Monitor. And if you know, you know, they run the Restaurant Finance and Development Conference, which if you've been to is a wonderful conference and run by John Hamburger, who used to be the CFO for a giant Chi-Chi's franchisee. And he's, I spent eight years learning everything about the business from him. He taught me a lot about how, you know, about restaurant, restaurant finance and, and things like that. So that's how I ended up getting in the business. But basically it was just, uh, there was a job at Franchise Times. I applied for it and I got it. <laughs> nice. I like it. And that yeah. brings you to where we are today. Yeah. We need we need some of that expertise now. It's, it's 2022. We're not even two weeks in to this year. So many people believe the transition to 2022 was going to be the savior year that would that would save us from a, a rough couple of years. It, it still feels pretty unknown, pretty tumultuous. What do you think the big storylines are going to be in, in 2022? And, and if you can export yourself beyond the, the severity of Omicron at this exact moment, but and, and think of what might dominate the news cycle around this industry for all of 2022, what do you see? That's a really good question. Nobody knows anything what's going on, right? I mean, there's been so one of the things that's the hallmark it's of what's refreshing going on, right? humility, by the way, not, yeah. not something we're used to. Nobody knows anything like literally like I was listening to, you know, I mean, I was listening to Jerome Powell, the Fed Reserve chairman. I was listening to his testimony from yesterday this morning and the Fed had no idea what was happening because so much of what we're going through is completely unprecedented. How many times have, have you heard the word unprecedented in the past two years? Like, probably a million times. It's not even like, not even close. Nobody has any idea. We've never had, and I guess the point was no, we've never had a situation in which the supply chain collapsed, for instance, which we've had a dramatic reduction in the total number of employees. And then a dramatic re return of these employees to work. You know, all of this stuff is unprecedented. And so, and then, you know, and then the pandemic hasn't gone the way it was. Hey, remember those days? Remember early those days when when uh, we thought this was going to last two months? Wasn't that wonderful? Two when weeks we to bend the we, curve. Yeah, was, yeah, all we need to spend stay two weeks at home and then everything is going to be fine. No, it wasn't. We're here, what, almost two years later and we're still dealing with it. All that's to say is that nobody has any idea. And I, I think the thing that well, look, I mean, look, I mean, first off, and I think this is really important going into 2022, no matter what anybody says, the restaurant industry is actually in surprisingly good shape, really, you know, just broadly speaking. Now, there's a lot of especially independence, urban concepts 
anybody that has had a, a heavy concentration in schools and in place like that. So obviously, there's a lot of company, a lot of restaurants that really did struggle. But on balance, the numbers as of, you know, uh, until the end of December were really, really solid and really fundamental. You know, I mean, the industry was on a month to month basis was plus, uh, I think the last, I think in November was like 15% above where it was two years earlier. If you had told me that we would be at this level of sales today, if we would have, if we were talking in March of 2020 and you, I, you would have, and, and someone would have told me that we would be 14% up in less than two years, I would have told you to stop taking drugs. So the industry is actually in great shape from a sales standpoint. What's also in addition is that consumers are willing to pay higher prices for restaurant food. They also demonstrated a real willingness to dine out, even to the extent that it was theoretically, I mean, even to the extent that it actually potentially harmed their health. They really, really like eating out at restaurants and the government put money it you know, maybe not enough. There were a lot of problems with it, but the government actually, for the first time, put direct aid to the restaurant industry. You know, there are issues with labor and supply chain issues, and there are obviously a lot of headaches today. You know, Omicron has sort of brought back a lot of problems. We've, we've seen plenty of evidence that sales in the past few weeks have definitely fallen a bit. But my guess here is that what we see in 2022 is the thing that I'm going to watch for is what happens now with inflation and what happens with the labor issue. The labor issue was obviously the big issue, but there are also issues with the supply chain and, you know, with people's ability to get equipment that's causing some real headaches to, for a lot of people and how long that those issues last. When is this supply chain issue going to get fixed? That's going to be a major problem. When are we going to start? When are people going to start getting back to work? That's also going to be a major issue. And nobody really knows when that's going to happen. I mean, nobody really has any decent visibility because it's already lasted longer than they thought it would. And we still have problems getting just equipment into the country. So I don't know if this fully answers your question, but I mean, the thing that I'm going to look for is to see when these two major headaches, supply chain and labor, which is all really related to labor, when is this going to be fixed? Does this Omicron variant, how much of a delay this causes? My guess is probably a few months, but once, you know, once the Omicron wave sort of subsides, then ultimately, where does the pandemic stand? I mean, you know, is it a much lower pandemic than it was before? Does it become endemic at that, that particular point? Can we eliminate all these restrictions? You know, then, then that becomes the big question. So, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, and I get a lot of side eye. I'm pretty bullish on 22 mm-hmm. on, on all segments of the industry. It's going to be longer uh, for mm-hmm. for some of the independents who have not had the the cash flow to to weather some of the storm, especially if they did not get any RRF early mm-hmm. on in the process. But I, to your point, I, I think we're going to have a, a a very bearish Q1. It's going to be pretty rough. Mm-hmm. I think we're experiencing that right now. But I'm extremely optimistic. Tell me I'm crazy because I I, I think you're probably right. I think it was probably Q3 before we have a fully reorganized supply chain that people can rely on and is not out of control in terms of inflation of, of some basic staples of, of uh, food items and, and cooking oils. And the labor is going to continue to be an issue. But I think despite those two challenges, I, st- I think the demand is going to roar back pretty hard because your surprise was my surprise, how quickly and how severely that demand came back. They're built up in this industry, such 
so the absence built up such uh, overwhelming pent up demand that it, it it displayed itself despite worsening conditions in <laughs> in in COVID as we got mm-hmm. into the fall here in Michigan and presumably in your state of Minnesota as well. But I, I just I look into the next year and I think we're going to get past this and and feel like we're in a more stable place. Am I crazy or do you think these things are going to be stabilized a little more in twenty two than we had in twenty one? I don't know. I don't think you're crazy at all. You've got to figure that this figure this thing works itself out. So. I mean, one, you know, one thing to, to, to keep in mind is, you know, Omicron is definitely less severe. I mean, th- there was just a new CD study, CDC study out today, in fact, that showed that uh, across the board, uh, the Omicron variant is, has been less severe than, than previous variants, you know, and, you know, that alone, you know, and then, you know, it's also going to be much faster. So it's just, this really is a transitory, to use a very modern word, which I don't think I heard before three weeks ago, it is a very transitory thing. And it does cause, is causing some issues in the first quarter. But already we're hearing that it's that the emergency issues that, that some restaurants had once this hit are starting to ease and things are getting a lot better and, uh, or things are getting better. I do hear from more operators that the labor issue has at least plateaued you know, now there's various opinions on how long it's going to last. And it's probably going to be last a lot longer. There's probably going to be labor headaches for a while, you know, but ultimately this is a demand issue, right? People want to eat out at restaurants. They really want to eat out at restaurants to the point that we're spending how long in drive-through lanes? How long did you spend in drive-through lanes over the past year, a couple of years? And you just tolerated it. I mean, of course you didn't have anything else to do. It's not like you're going out to movies or to plays or anything, but you know, you people really, really did like eating restaurant food. And ultimately, if you have a demand problem, that's the basis to everything, right? If there's demand, people are going to provide it. And they're paying more. They're also willing to pay more for, for that restaurant food. They are not pushing back on price increases like they would be in the past. If you remember not too long ago, you know, we would fret in the industry about how much, how much a problem of, you know, an increase in gas prices of a dollar would, would have on, fast food sales. We don't think about that at all. And the other thing about independence, and I know they, and now that's where, you know, independents are, are sort of the, one of the bigger question marks going forward. Honestly, it's, it's, you know, is, you know, are they going to be able to compete with the big, with the big restaurant chains for takeout and delivery and technology and things of that nature? And they've definitely been hurt a lot more than chain restaurants. In fact, the biggest chain restaurants have done fine and small, mid-sized and small chains have done very poorly. And then independents have done the worst. I think you're right. That's but, the million dollar question for us, right? Yeah. And, and our membership is overwhemmingly the, the smaller mm-hmm. independent to all the points you, you mentioned. I, it, it, has COVID forever changed their ability to operate? Because to me, the demand for unique, authentic local hasn't gone away. And people appreciate what change can bring in terms of efficiency mm-hmm. and consistency, but there's just, it, it, it's unlike many other industries where people crave and want that local authenticity. So what does that look like five years from now for the, for the small independent restaurateur? Well, that's, that's a really good question. I, honestly, I don't think people are ever going to stop preferring their local restaurant. That is not going to happen. You know, I cover chain restaurants for a living as, as a rule. I mean, I cover the biggest chain restaurants and my strong preference every single time is to find a local restaurant and eat out at a local restaurant. I am like, and, and in poll, you know, survey after survey, after survey, after survey has shown that peak consumers 
really do prefer eating out at independent restaurants. We have more tools today than we've ever had before in making sure that the local restaurants that are out there are good ones, and it takes a lot of the fear factor out of it, right? Going into the pandemic, if you remember, I thought that independents had something of an advantage because of the fact that you didn't have some of the, you know, one of the reasons we go to chain restaurants is we know what's going to be there. You know, we know what, what they have and we don't have to worry of whether the food is going to be good. You know, with independence, we, we still have that ability to look up at ratings and things of that nature. And the other issue is, is that there's always somebody out there that has a really good idea and can put it to use, you know, so there's just this constant flow of new ideas. And so I think if we're looking at it five years from now, you're probably going to see a pretty interesting crop of independent restaurants, you know, that have really found a really unique way to address consumers' desire for that local independent restaurant, but do so in a manner that really, really addresses some of their convenience needs. Some of the problem, you know, I mean, some of the potential issues are, you know, I mean, what's going to be the impact of like ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens or virtual brands, you know, and how is that going to, how are those trends going to impact independence because they're more likely to take sales away from them? You know, how does the delivery market shake up, shake out and that sort of thing? But, you know, I would still make my bet on the independent restaurant having a definite market going forward and being able to thrive down the line as long, of course, as, you know, they have the basics, right? Let me switch gears a little bit on you because Emily has, and she's been waiting patiently and she's got some very, very specific questions related to the industry. She wants to hit that'll be a little Mm -hmm. more, a little more lighthearted, a little more fun. Uh, Emily, what do you got? Yeah, I think Everyone's talking about COVID and the impact. So let's lighten it up a little bit. I mean, speaking of creativity that you just referenced, Taco Bell wings have been dominating my Twitter timeline for about a week now. And I know that you have a sizable following on Twitter. I've seen you cover it a little bit on my feed. Do you have a hot take on the topic or their Taco Lovers Pass, which also was just announced? What's your hot take on that? It's success, the marketing strategy. What you're, do you got? You're speaking to the millennial generation now, Jonathan. Why, my question on the Taco Bell, why wings, right? Oh, I mean, I don't know. If Obviously, this is audio, so you couldn't see me like really rubbing my head once you mentioned the word, the phrase. Taco Grimacing in full pain is what I really for, for want. Our listeners. It, it's just, I mean, the problem, I mean, and, and it's not so much as unique to Taco Bell. It's like I've if I had a nickel for the number of virtual chicken wing brands that have popped up over the past 18 months, I would have a ton of nickels. I have a few bucks and it's just, you know, and then chicken wings. I mean, look, there's other food products, you know, I mean, you don't have to just do chicken wings. There are other things that you can, you can do chicken tenders, do something else. So I, I just think it's my general thought is that's, that was just a little bit, I, I tend to think that Taco Bell did that for attention. It really wasn't broad. It's not a sandbox that Taco Bell really wants to play in at all. Chicken wings are really problematic. I mean, I can yeah. we can do an entire podcast on my thoughts on chicken wings. Okay, let's and, leave chicken, uh, let's leave chicken aside though. Chicken yeah. chicken held aside. Yum brands. Yeah. I will leave. I will even admit Yum has been pretty good at coming yeah. up with some creative marketing techniques that mm-hmm. that drive social media and drive yeah. demand, especially for Emily's generation. That's not generation shaming, Emily. I, I promise yeah. you. Yeah, you uh, missed no, my eye roll on that one. <laughs> 
But I, I'm no, interested in the, sub, the subscription nature, though. Is that is that mm. something that is here to stay? Does that have a future or is that just another gimmick that's short term? It's not a gimmick, I don't think. No, it, it, it is here uh, to stay. I think you're going to see, you know, you're going to see it continue to evolve. You are probably going to see smaller chains that sort of begin with their business model. In fact, we are seeing some of that already where we see some, you know, some companies have, you know, some restaurants that have, are starting off with subscriptions, but yeah, no subscriptions are are definitely here to stay. You're going to see different iterations of them and consumers appear to like them. It's just going to, you know, I, how big it is, it's really going to be a, a, a big question, but I, I definitely think, and I think that what you're seeing with Taco Bell is, is sort of, you know, subscriptions hitting, hitting just an, another level. They're the biggest chain by far to have experimented with it. Well, actually, no, not by far because Burger King did it and, and so did Panera Bread. So I think you're just going to continue to see more and more experimentation on the subscription model. I don't think that's, I know chicken wings definitely was a marketing gimmick. The subscription things is not. I think that they see some real advantages to it. And, you know, it's tying into loyalty. So on the chain front right now, loyalty is really one of the biggest, most comprehensive trends that we're seeing in the industry today where everybody thinks that, and they, you know, maybe they should, it, it, everybody thinks that they need a loyalty program and you're going to just find new ways to tie into that program and get more customer to that program. So subscriptions are definitely here to stay and you're going to see more, more iterations of them going forward for sure. Do you think that independents will have the ability to build a subscription platform to create more stability compared to the stability they have not had over the last two years? Or do you think it'll take some time for that to trickle to independents? Um, no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you wouldn't, I mean, I would probably expect, I now I don't know of any, but I certainly would not be surprised at all to know of a few independents that have, have, have done this or, you know, you know, or certainly experimented with it. And I certainly would, especially if you have, you know, a product, a food product, or a, you know, you have something that just people want on a regular basis and you want to encourage customers to continue to come in. You know, the thing about the Taco Bell subscription, just as an example, is that you pay $10 and then you get 30 days, you know, in which you get a single taco per day, you know, which works out to be a wonderful deal if you go to Taco Bell 30 times. So the encouragement there right from the get-go is that you go more often. And then when you go, you're, of course, not going to get a single taco. I don't know anybody that just eats one single taco per time. So you're generating sales that way. So anything that you could do to, to encourage it, it it's, it's definitely a trend. I think that independence and certain types of independence for sure can, can, can take a look at it to give yourself and, and, and not so much look at it as a consistent revenue stream, though there's definitely some elements there, especially if you do things like coffee, but look at it more of a, of a, of a, as a strategy to encourage customers to come in more often and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's definitely has some, you know, some, some staying power. While we're on quick service, let me, let me pivot a little bit to the, the broad sense of on-premise versus off-premise. Mm -hmm. uh, and the dramatic changes we've seen, maybe maybe COVID expediting a trend that was already starting to happen, but in, on, on super speed, 
the split pre-COVID, I believe, was about 55% of all restaurant consumption was done off-premise, so drive-through, carry-out, otherwise, and, and 45 on. That, that rocketed up to 90% of, of off-premise at, at the peak of the pandemic. And even as of last fall, though, we were still at about an 80-20 split. Mm-hmm. That's going to continue to come down, but how far? How, how dramatically changed are we for how we as a nation, how Michiganders uh, consume? And then what does that mean? What does that mean for the industry? It certainly seems on quick service to mean a, a lot smaller footprint for, 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 for lobbies of any new builds. If they have a lobby at all. But what does that mean for the industry overall when we think about how we're going to consume restaurant food? Well, I would imagine that it's going to, I mean, it's not going to be 80%, but I have to imagine that it's going to settle at a relatively high rate. It's, it's you know, considerably higher to me than 55 probably in the nature of like two thirds would probably be my guess if I had to guess at a number. And I mean, and look, I mean, this was, and and that's why I think a lot of people think that, you know, off-premise is here to stay is this was a long-term trend for a very long time in the restaurant industry. And it just basically, you know, we, we think about the pandemic as, as moving the industry like five years forward in a very short period of time. And that's probably what this has done. It's almost worth it to look at the industry now as being mostly about convenience. And then the on-premise business just becomes more of a special occasion type thing. So it's less about convenience. And I think the numbers that we've seen from a lot of casual dining restaurants is that they kept a lot of their weekend sales, but their weekday sales really fell off a cliff you know, the dine-in sales. And actually, if you look at a lot of the restaurants that did well during during the recovery, a lot of the restaurants that did well last year were steak restaurants, steak chains, killed it, absolutely killed it. We've seen some like ridiculous numbers from rest from steak restaurants that really have that celebratory element to their business model. And so you kind of see that where the occasion sort of shift to be more the dining occasion becomes that celebration type thing. And then everything else is basically is, is just for convenience and, 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 and takeaway. And so, you know, the, the best restaurants are going to figure, you know, figure that out. I mean, I, nobody, no fast food restaurant I talk to is willing to completely get rid of the dining room, but it definitely has considerably less importance than it did even right before the pandemic. That sure sounds like a lot more fast casual, even upscale fast casual and a little less uh, mid-tier in-person dining, um, those casual chains in the future. Do you see any major brands going extinct in the next couple of years that are in that sector? No, it's really hard to kill a restaurant brand. You just can't do it. I mean, so, but I mean, I guess, do I see any brands like really, really struggling? To be honest, if you've gotten through the pandemic at this point, you've probably figured things out. <laughs> I mean, exactly right. you know, I, I don't, you know, I, there could be certainly concerns in the next year or two with a combination of a couple of things that are going on. Number one, you do have these, you do have cost increases that are still evident and we don't really know how long they're going to last. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very, very telling to me that, you know, yesterday Domino's Pizza said that it is going to shift away from its value. Well, it's it's going to change its $5.99 and $7.99 value offers that it's had for a very, very long time. 
And because of the way their costs, they're predicting their food costs going up eight to 10%, which is three to four times higher than normal. Big news in Michigan, which is a perfect segue because Little Caesars also getting Mm -hmm. rid of the $5 hot and ready. Now 555 seems minimal, but that still is is, is a shocker. But that's a perfect segue because I because you do you you focus on big pizza and and there is mm-hmm. nothing Michigan contributes more to the national restaurant market than than pizza. With all due respect to my Coney Island friends here in Michigan, I think I think big pizza, whether it's Domino's, Little Caesars, Jets, Hungry Howie's, uh, a growing chain is Buddies, which is the Detroit style pizza, which is fantastic by the way. If you haven't had it, I want to hear your thoughts on Detroit style pizza as a future trend, but. What, what, do you, what do you see from pizza uh, in, in the coming years? Oh, well, that's a really good question. So I love Detroit tile pizza for the record. Let me just start off with that. I really do. That like is the it. correct answer. It is a correct answer. It's very, very good. You know, I, I, I really enjoy it. It's, um, you know, it's a big trend. I, you know, I don't see it going away. I mean, I think that you saw probably really one of the bigger deals is that Pizza Hut you know, did their Detroit style pizza, you may or may not have liked it. But the fact that they did it takes that Detroit style pizza and then suddenly gives it like in and then just accelerates that trend. That's kind of how a lot of these things tend to work is that, you know, once a big chain sort of adopts it, you know, when KFC did the Nashville hot chicken, now everybody's eating Nashville hot chicken. And now you see a bunch of chains that have actually started popping up to serve Nashville hot chicken. And a lot of that can a lot of that trend came because KFC elevated the trend. And I mean, Detroit style pizza, I think was a bigger deal than say Nashville hot chicken. You know, it was a little bit more, it was a little broader, I guess, you know, still you, and so, and you do have these chains that are like buddies and buddies is a very good chain and I'm very familiar with them and, you know, some really good people um, over there. And, you know, so you have some chains that are really getting on board with it. So that's a really good, you know, that's a really good, interesting trend. I learned long ago that never bet against pizza. And I'll, I remember early, you know, I think it was about like 2008, 2009, I wrote for the monitor that people were losing interest in pizza. And had I not written that and instead put money into Domino's pizza, I would have a lot of money. So I was worried. Yeah. Were you terminated from that position? Shortly I should have been that? probably, but uh, fortunately John was nice to me or he <laughs> might've completely not read it or something like that. But yeah, I did. I did. I asked if people losing their taste for pizza, they never do. And pizza is, is just fundamentally a good value play. Everybody likes it. It's fundamentally very, you know, it's just very accessible. It's, it's profitable, um, things like that. So my thought is that, you know, essentially with the pizza business, you're just going to continue to see more of the same, you know, it's, it, the challenge I think really is for that independent and small chain operator to continue to compete in that market. That's where we really see some, some challenges for some independences in the pizza business, because consumers really, really, really do. Yeah. I mean, pizza is really commoditized. And the major chains have done so much work on just making it easier to order a pizza and essentially digitizing roughly everything. And that just makes it a lot harder to compete for that independent. So an independent is going to have to really differentiate themselves in the market strongly enough to be able to withstand that because that's not going to get 
any easier. You know, I mean, McDonald's is building more restaurants. Uh, Papa John's is now planning to build more restaurants. Pizza Hut is done closing restaurants. It's been closing restaurants the past few years. So you're probably going to, they're going to get back on the, on the growth chain uh, pretty quick here, you know, and then Little Caesars. I mean, that's a brand we doesn't really get talked about nearly enough. You know, it is the third largest. It is, a you know, it, it, it's, Hot and Ready Pizza was one of the more innovative marketing strategies of the past two decades, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, uh, you know, really has some interesting situations. I mean, getting off the $5 Hot and Ready was inevitable. You, you just can't keep a price point forever. But, uh, you know, you know, they've really done a lot of work on delivery and and uh, and and carry out and 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 really, you know, addressing their technology situation and stuff like that. So it's just getting harder to compete if you're a smaller operator in that particular market. So that's sort of what I see for the the pizza business going forward. It's, that's really where chains are, are going to be more dominant. Well, next time you're in Michigan, I'm going to I'm going to take you to a Clavon's and it's going to make you a believer okay. in the small potential future chain. But right now operating in just two locations, it's a, All right. it's a world changer. OK, Emily, I was just going to say, put your money on it right now. Do you think Taco Bell will feature Detroit style pizza <laughs> in the future? Well, they did chicken wings. Why wouldn't they do pizza? They're going to have to get their uh, Mexican pizza back first. <laughs> well, that's so true. maybe they'll do a Detroit style Mexican pizza. Oh, what a winning that you heard it here first and probably only here, frankly. All right. Seriously, look at, you know, go and look at any Taco Bell Twitter post and look at the responses. And it will usually take you, you will not need more than two or three responses to get to a bring back the Mexican pizza every single time. It's like Wendy's with their spicy chicken nuggets. Yeah, but they eventually brought the chicken nuggets back. So eventually you got to have to admit, think that Taco Bell does that. That's interesting. Twitter has a lot of power. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you out of here, Jonathan, on this. You are a, a longtime Minnesota resident, uh, a tortured fan of the Minnesota Vikings. Not as tortured as all of us here in the great state of Michigan with our Detroit Lions. You guys have been close often. We have been close never. Who wins a Super Bowl first? The Vikings? Detroit. Oh man, you're the only person I can think of who would ever say Detroit, but God bless you. The Lions getting a Super Bowl before the Vikings would be one of the more torturous things I can imagine because we feel pretty justifiably that we are the most tortured fan base. So you think this Lions team that just won three, three and 14, I believe was our record this year. There was a tie too. Mm, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look at that up. Three wins. Do you you think that team's got a better chance of? Uh, no, I players? I don't know about that. I just can tell you that the Vikings are snake bit, you know. So they've had really really good teams. That you know the '98 Vikings team with Randy Moss as a rookie, they couldn't get into the Super Bowl. You you've had four Super Bowl losses, and and uh, I uh, I'm. I've been a Vikings fan for more than 40 years. I've seen everything possible and I am convinced they're just never going to win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. And it's better to keep my expectations low. That sounds like a true Lions fan is what that sounds like. (laughs) I will, I will bet you today some Taco Bell wings or possibly a Detroit style Mexican pizza uh, that the Vikings uh, secure a Super Bowl before the Lions. Do you, do we have a bet? Uh, Sure, but we probably, (laughs) 
I'm well, not entirely certain we'll be alive. To no one's going that. to pay. This, this bet is just not going to pay off at all. Either way, Jonathan, yes. thank you. Thank you for spending an afternoon with us uh, and for Love sharing it. your info insights with us. What is your, your, your Twitter handle? So people who are not following, they should be, but if they're not, they can start following. At Jonathan Mays. And, and restaurantbusinessmagazine.com? Restaurantbusinessonline.com. Uh, glad for the clarification. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll be following you and talking to you soon. Thank you very much. Loved it. Thank you.